When I gotta have full transparency, I normally listen to you at 1.5. So, <laughs> so I sound slow and drunk right now. <laughs> it's always really funny when like we get in the car and it's still on 1.5. My partner's like, "What is happening? Yeah. Stop!" Yeah. My best friend uh, Max, he 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 says when he talks to me now because he he's a fast listener too. He talks to me after listening to my show so much. He's like he's like you sound drunk. He's like you gotta you hit your head. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Edge of Punks podcast. This is your host, Craig Biderman, welcoming you to another episode of a conversation with an everyday educator and daily disruptor in the world at large. Today, I have a very special episode for you. I'm chatting with the one and only Roman Mars from Radiotopia, 99% Invisible, and what Trump can teach us about constitutional law. The man is multi-talented and multi-faceted. His uh, brain was really fun to pick for an hour. And it was really uh, just wonderful to get to talk to someone that I listen to every single week, at least once a week. Uh, uh, And I've gone through almost every episode of 99PI that there is. So I've listened to this man talk for a lot of hours over the last couple of years. And so it was nice to just get to chat with him for 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 an hour and to learn a lot about his life and his uh, life as a punk and his life as an educator and a, and a student. So uh, I really enjoyed getting to chat with him about all of that. This episode, you also get to hear tunes from the new Old Soul album. We had Old Soul on the podcast last time they released an album a couple of years ago, and now here they are again with their new album called You Were Overwhelmed. It came out a couple weeks ago uh, through Counterintuitive Records and Chatterbot Records. You can go to counterintuitiverecords.com to get yourself a copy of the vinyl of the album. You can also go to Chatterbot Records and get yourself the tan pressing of the album counterintuitive has a purple pressing the tour pressing is black and then the tan pressing is through chatterbot 
Um, also, the band is currently on their first ever full U.S. tour. So if you are uh, interested in checking out the band, if you hear their tunes, they're still going to be out for another few weeks. So they might be coming to your neck of the woods. So check them out. They're good friends of mine. And if you can host them for an evening, that would be great. Uh, all four of those people in that band are really good friends of mine. And I love them dearly. And I'm really glad to share their new album with all of you uh, this week. As usual, I like to remind folks that we are part of the Connect EDU network. So go to connectedu.network to check out all of the fantastic podcasts and educational uh, offerings that we have in our entire network. There's a lot out there that you can learn from and be educated by. So go over there, connectedu.network, and get get yourself some education, y'all. Now... I want to bring this conversation with Roman Mars to your ear holes, so please open them up and welcome this conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. I had a whole lot of fun doing it, and thanks again to Roman Mars and his whole team for making it happen. So here we go. slack to put on to do not disturb or we will get buzzed every uh that's a good every, reminder for every myself three too. minutes <laughs> i have a so i work at a college and i have a group text for my student employees and last night they went off and like i woke up to 160 messages and i'm like nope <laughs> really glad that was on do not disturb all night <laughs> like, yeah. especially when they're all like 19 and 20 and i'm like Oh, I don't get a lot of your references. Oh, my God. That's rough. (laughs) Working at a college is wonderful, but it's also like you learn real quick how out of date you are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I get that when I'm just, you know, like just with my employees or or only, you know, 10 years younger than I am. I get that. I feel that same way. Yeah, and it's uh, every school year is like me getting a little bit older, and I hate to use the adage from uh, Days and Confused, but they keep staying the same right. age, and I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try to like keep myself as authentic as possible around them, but I know at some point, like it happens with all student affairs, higher ed people, at some point you just gotta like let go. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I've still got a few years behind with me or with it I mean, just, for myself. You know, I think the key is just to be yourself and recognize what you don't. You recognize your limitations, recognize what you don't get, and just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, cool. Cool. So um, I know a little bit about you. Um, for folks that are listening, uh, might not have any idea who you are. Mm-hmm. Can you just tell folks a little bit about who you are, like what you do, and like how you got to where you are? Sure. Uh, so I'm Roman Mars. I'm a podcaster. I host and create, I created a show called 99% Invisible about 10 years ago. It's about architecture and design, but it's really, it's about like all the thought that people put into things that most people don't think about. And, um, I also host another podcast called what Trump can teach us about con law, which is me talking to a friend of mine who's a, uh, teaches constitutional law at UC Davis. And I, it's my way of coping with the uh, Trump presidency. And I'm the <laughs> mine too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the co-founder of a collective of podcasts called Radiotopia, which is just a 
like independent group of podcasts and as a project prx the public radio exchange and uh so we have like a bunch of other shows that are sort of brother and sister shows with with me in that 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 we started um about six years ago so that's that's about kind of the the major things right now nice first and foremost like this is kind of like an i i i love this being like an educational podcast Mm -hmm. and i'm curious of what your educational background is yeah, so um, I have a kind of a weird one. I I did not graduate from high school. Uh, I, oh, <laughs> I left. Fascinating. I left uh, <laughs> high school after my sophomore year. I went directly to this sort of alternative weirdo school called Simon's Rock. It's now part of Bard. It was uh, oh. it was part of Bard then, but now it's called Bard College at Simon's Rock. But at the time, it was called Simon's Rock College, and it was just part of Bard. And uh, and I went there, uh, and then I got a and then I transferred to Oberlin College in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a degree there, and I studied uh, I studied genetics. I loved science, and so I followed uh, a path that my sort of advisor as an undergraduate did, and I went to the University of Georgia and studied plant genetics there for a couple years until I dropped out. <laughs> and so uh, I, have, <laughs> I have no high school diploma. I have no Ph.D., um, I, di- I did get, uh, you know, uh, a bachelor's degree, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I graduated, but, but because of that, I, I graduated from college when I was 19. And so I, and I started grad school when I was 19. So by the time I was a washed up, uh, PhD dropout, I was only 23. So. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. Like I didn't even, I didn't start graduate school until I was 25. <laughs> like <laughs> that's fascinating to me. What, what sparked like studying genetics? I actually have a friend who has his PhD in genetics. Mm-hmm. So I, and we were in a metal band together. Mm-hmm. So like I would hear him talk about this stuff all the time. So like it takes like a certain person to study that. What? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what it was. It was just sort of like, I just loved knowing how things worked and there was something about evolutionary biology and genetics uh, i studied population genetics for quite some time and then i sort of focused a little bit on molecular genetics and i just for some reason i could picture it i just loved it i taught it as a i was a ta at uga and so i was this like blue hair punk kid teaching kids older than me uh genetics um and uh, it was so much fun. Like, I just thought it was great. And, but the, I mean, to me, but it was like reading a science book. Like I, what I discovered kind of in the process after I finished my teaching and finished my classes that I, I wasn't a very good scientist. Like there was just something about that as a discipline, which wasn't drilled into me. Like I was a good science student, but I wasn't a good scientist. And it took being, um, you know, like when everything else about my education was over for me to realize that. So you were a TA at how old? I was uh, 19. 19. That's okay. <laughs> so I like, how did people perceive or like react to you as a TA at such a young age? Like, I'm just, I'm very curious about that. I don't know. Like it, I, I was, um, I was a really good TA, so I, I did well with it. Like, I was sort of nominated for awards, and I had these sessions, and, you know, 30 to 50 people would show up for problem nice. sessions at night, you know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I was a little bit weird. Like, I had, I think I had blue, blue spiky hair, and, uh, 
and in some cases I really identified with some of the kids there and some of them I didn't. I thought UGA was a great school. Like it was one of those big, you know, it's a big university. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole swath of people there um, who can, you know, c- who are kind of there because, you know, it's the terminus of, you know, after you get a high school diploma and you live in Georgia and you're kind of, you know, you have a good head on your shoulders, you go to UGA. And then there's a group of people who are, you know, can't avail themselves of the amazing resources there. Like, you know, the life sciences building was, had just incredible equipment, just amazing things that I never had at Oberlin as an undergrad. And, and they were, you know, uh, as smart as, you know, smarter, you know, more, had more experience in, in science than, than I did. And so I was really, I I thought it was a really interesting place, but I, I usually found, I've always found, um, my differences um, a strength in most places. Like I drew strength from, you know, being, um, younger than them. I took pride in doing a good job and earning their respect, stuff like that. So you had blue hair. (laughs) Well, for part of it, sometimes I had red hair. Sometimes I had no hair. Hell yeah. (laughs) Like what? So I imagine that was tied to some punk roots. Yeah. Um, where, where did, where did your punk roots, uh, come from? I mean, they're, they're sort of, like, been, they were so much part of my every day. Like I was, you know, the, you know, one of the punk kids in like eighth or ninth grade type of thing. Like it was just, I had nice. an older sister who was five years older who sort of got me started. And, um, and then like I quickly surpassed her, <laughs> like in terms of my, <laughs> my, the depth of my, you know, like, uh, study and interest in other things. It really kicked in when I was 15 and I went to went to Simon's Rock. I met a bunch of other, especially a lot of DC punks. And mm. uh, and this is like, you know, this is 1990. So like, um, you know, Fugazi had put out two albums, I think, at that point. You know, and yeah, and um, and so I remember when Study Died of Nothing came out. Like, you know, like. Mm a group of people like went to <laughs> went to Albany, drove to Albany to go get it, get a copy of it, you know, that day, you know, things like that. So, so I was really, um, it was really Simon's Rock where I found other people. But, but even back in, in the two years I was in high school, I had this one best friend. Uh, we would go to Columbus, Ohio and on High Street. Uh, that's why I grew up in Newark, Ohio, outside of Columbus. And uh, we go to High Street and there was a set of three or four record stores, um, that uh, we would go to on the weekends about once a month and I would just buy records and uh, t-shirts and and I was doing everything in in my power to uh, uh, alienate myself from everybody else <laughs> in Newark, as Ohio. As you do, as you do, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so each, each state. So like punk rock stuff in particular, it was the discourse stuff that really spoke to me the most. I, I mm. loved how it was... Uh, uh, both uh, energizing and, and catchy and also challenging and every new album would come out and I go well, I don't know about this one and then you know a month later I think it was the best one they ever did so it, it was yep. I always liked that about them in particular I also loved lots of other punk rock I mean I loved East Bay Punk you know where I am now um, but that was sort of that had almost the opposite alchemy like I was it was very poppy and comfortable and didn't change or challenge me all that much but I would still enjoy it so there you know like I had a I was pretty um 
Catholic in my tastes. I would I would sample everything. But there was a time period back then where if you played, you know, like five or maybe I don't know one minute of a song, I could tell you what city <laughs> it was from. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was the, that was that was part of the thing. Like you knew the sound of things because of it was still like the world of punk had joined together through you know zines like Maximum Rock and Roll, and uh, but. Uh, the scenes had different, real different sounds to them that they that they somehow kept to. So. There's a lot to be said about being able to tell a sound and like um, recognize where it's com- where it comes from because I feel like hip hop had that mm-hmm. had that at some point. I don't know if it still does. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. I don't think punk does. I don't know if it's necessarily good. I just know it was like yeah. part of what it was, and so that was it was super intriguing to me. I just was always, but there, there was a there was a style that I knew. I like. I was not a punk nihilist. I was really uh, like uh, heartbroken by the world, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to put it. Mm-hmm. And so, the DC punks and and Dead Kennedys and things like that that had a real message and um, a real mission to their existence. That 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 was something that spoke to me in particular. That's that's awesome. Like when I was growing up, I grew up in Salem, Oregon, mm-hmm. and um, we had no exposure. Like <laughs> I had almost no exposure to punk at all. And growing up, um, my brother was the person that introduced me to the presidents of the United States, uh, Bloodhound Gang, mm-hmm. Chili Peppers. Like that was like the first music I ever heard, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I, and Sublime and <laughs> cake so like it was a very different uh swath of music than what i listen to now mm-hmm. but i definitely had that um when i was in like middle school i was a kid with a who was a uh uh, uh diagnosed with adhd very young mm-hmm. and so i had that like chip on my shoulder i had a very fuck the <laughs> fuck the world kind of approach sure. and i i was just like that's where more of my um, I, I guess approach to the world came in like as as a punk because I was just like I don't I I was kicked out of multiple middle schools uh, <laughs> like it was a mess wow. and so like that's more of where I was like um, making my mark if you will yeah. and so it like actual like punk music hardcore music didn't really uh, permeate me into like later in high school Mm -hmm. and uh early college so like i was i feel like i was like a uh a late bloomer to some degree yeah but that's the thing (laughs) i remember at the time it being a really big deal like how long you were into punk and how punk you were and how authentic Mm -hmm. you were this was a huge part of our brains were occupied this in the late 80s and early 90s and it's Mm -hmm. such a waste of fucking time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, for sure. Same with straight edge culture. Yeah. Like it's it's like how like do you drink coffee? Like <laughs> exactly. That's how intense it would get. Yeah, and so I, you know, that part of it, um, you know, it didn't. I was I was I was as subject to it as anyone else. Like fall fell for it. But I remember thinking that, um, you know, like I'd caught on late to stuff when I was fifteen years old. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> And so, like, if I didn't manage to make it to, you know, oh, that one time that minor threat made it through, you know, when I was eight, <laughs> like, I'm such a <laughs> fucking poser. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how could you not know about the like, gig? Why didn't you get exactly. to the gig, Roman? But yeah, it was it, it was a weird it was a weird time where we divided ourselves in lots of different ways. We st- I mean, still do. But oh, for ways. sure, we still one hundred percent still do. And <laughs> I'm seeing it. Uh, we were at a I was at a gig last night that. Um, Uh, It was like the Wonder Years and this band called Spanish Love Songs and like some newer emo-y pop punk. Mm -hmm. And I've seen just like a new crowd of uh, folks that I see at every gig. And there's like a lot of cred. Like, yeah, I saw this band in an auto shop (laughs) a couple months ago and now they're playing the big stage. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. And like I love love hearing those stories because like I have some of those like vfw hall stories i have some of those like church gymnasium stories oh yeah and it's so much fun like that's that was like we had a party i mean one of the great things about my years at simon's rock and the how i really got tied into the whole discord scene was that you know we had this little bit of a budget to bring bands and Mm. you know it was in western mass and so between a boston show and a new york show they would play simon's rock for $200 on a Wednesday and it was just a yeah. way to fill space you know for them and and you know get a couple new fans and there maybe be eight of us there sometimes and sometimes we could get 30 people to go or something like that but um it was so much fun and and you know like and I I love that stuff but I also love it like so my favorite band of of the sort of mid, mid 90s era was this band called Jawbox mm-hmm. and uh, they just sort of reformed to do some reunion stuff and you know and now I'm this like bougie guy who flies to Boston to see the show because (laughs) (laughs) and you know and watch all these people of all these different ages just love them whereas maybe back when I was 15 I would have been protective of the things I loved that certain people couldn't love them the way I love them and Mm -hmm. now I just want the, the people who I appreciate to get as much love as they possibly can in this world and you know and it is not a you know it's not a problem for me that they went from the VFW hall to playing Wembley Stadium or something <laughs> like I, I want yeah. them I want them to get as much recognition and success as they possibly can I feel like there's like um there's a lot of maturity there <laughs> Yeah, it takes like growing the hell up to be like <laughs> to say something like that. Like uh, I love Patton Oswalt, the comedian, mm-hmm. and he has a bit about um, this was like mm, a while back, but he has a bit about how when he reached his like early thirties, he's like, I just gave up on being like such a fucking poser about like music. Like, no, everyone can enjoy this. Like, I I just need to move. Like, I'm I'm growing up. I want the younger crowd to love this stuff. Like, I just need to stop doing this and like i just reached i just turned 32 recently mm-hmm. and like I, i'm like come to that point where i'm like okay i don't need to listen to every album that comes out i don't need to tell everyone everything that i'm listening to anymore mm-hmm. like i'm just gonna like find what comes my way mm-hmm. <laughs> listen to it i might even like some pop music now like yeah, that was it's a big, okay that was a big revelation to me was to recognize that actually like and this is something I think about as I make things is like to make something that is popular that appeals to people in a way is it's is an art form it is not like a lesser art form it isn't you know you don't have to be um, obscure or difficult or require people to bring so much to your art that to make it comprehensible so if you can make something that really appeals to people like that is 
really amazing. That is really hard to do. And not everyone can do it. And so I find much more value in a wider range of things than I uh, once did. I mean, there's certain things I still, you know, viscerally hate, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, like, but, but, but so much of my personality was back then defined by the things I hated instead of the things I loved. And that's such a mm-hmm. fucking miserable way to live. And so now oh, I can 100%. find so much more, I can find so much more uh, joy in all things, um, especially things that are not, you know, meant for me, you know, that are just, you know, just like pop on the radio or whatever it is. Yeah, I've definitely had to like reckon with that, like what, what, like what content is actually made for someone like me, Mm -hmm. because I'm not, I'm not able to get like, again, getting older, not able to get everything that's coming out these days like I've recently started getting to like more of the chill step hip hop stuff and I'm like all right I can see some value in this Mm -hmm. where like six or seven years ago I'd have been like there's no way I'm listening to this at all Hmm. and now I'm like no I would rather just chill out have some stories told to me (laughs) and like unwind a little bit at the end of the day put a record on and chill out rather than have to go rowdy all night (laughs) That's fair. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we were the same people our whole lives, what a miserable lot that would be. That would be terrible. Oh, <laughs> oh it'd be terrible. Oh, I'm just thinking about how I was when I was like, when I was talking to some students yesterday about um, so something that someone said that they had done when they were 17. And I was like, I can't remember when I was 17. That was the last time I took a math class was when I was 17. Like, and I don't remember what I learned in that class. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm glad I'm not that same person. <laughs> I wonder if they feel my shape
right, that was a little bit of Left Wondering off of the new Old Soul album, You Were Overwhelmed. And we'll be back uh, after this next chunk of conversation to share an entire song with you. But for now, let's get back to that conversation with Roman Mars. So there's a lot of like punk ethics that I uh, kind of live by. I'm sure that you live by as well. Sure. One of the main ones that I kind of like live by is to me, punk is about disruption to some degree, like disrupting norms, creating new spaces for growth for, for people who haven't like been exposed to certain things. What level do you think like disruption has played in your role uh, in, in, in your development as a person and as possibly even a content producer? That's a big question. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it's so fundamental, but it's, what's interesting to me and, and maybe I can tie it in different ways, but it's like, sometimes I'm not always seeking, um, disruption. Sometimes my way of dealing with rejection is to embrace <laughs> a path that other people haven't taken yet. And that ends up looking like disruption. So, hmm. For example, I mean, I think I've always sort of when when I had hard decisions to make, like like dropping out of school or um, you know anything I kind of did, I always just was like, well, let's just pick the most interesting path. <laughs> you know, that was just yeah. sort of my nature, and and I think I'm also sort of biologically wired to be um, very sensitive to other people. Uh, sometimes to a fault like it really does like affect me and so when I um, I don't know so so I would say the simplest version of like so the, the show this show started uh, 99% Visible started about 10 years ago um, we uh, had a little bit of money to get to get going through sponsorship and then I couldn't afford to keep doing it anymore and I did this Kickstarter um, in the third season and it was it was kind of the first time uh, a public radio show because I was sort of living in the public radio community because I'd worked in that for about 10 years up to that point um, went to the audience directly and asked for money outside of the station system and it was because but it was because the stations like they didn't want me you know it wasn't like hmm. I was rejecting them and doing something else like there was no path for me there and and NPR was not like my home. I had worked kind of around in different stations and I think I had a lot of good respect and I had good colleagues and thought I people thought I did well, but I couldn't make a living at that because the structure of NPR was or public radio, I don't mean to say NPR, that's just a brand inside of public radio, but the structure of public radio was you know like everyone else got paid first and producers got paid last and you could get interns to do it and it just was not really you know, it just wasn't set up for someone like me who wanted to make a living at it. So I ended up just um, figuring out a way to make a living on my own. And it was so successful that it really changed the whole environment of public media in a lot of ways. And the things that followed are not directly attributed to me, but the things that followed like, you know, um, you know Alex Bloomberg starting Gimlet and, you know, these other sort of podcast entities like the, when a lot of people left a lot of these public radio uh, jobs these extremely low playing pain exploitative public radio jobs to do their own thing because they realized the thing that they made had real value in this world I mean that was um, that was part uh, disruption 
and some of it I'm a part of and some of it I'm not. And sometimes, some, sometimes I'm like a, uh, you know, like a, a mascot of that or something, you know, but, um, but what was important to me was that when we, was the creation of Radiotopia. So when I did the first Kickstarter, I went to PRX and I said, um, we can do this now. There's a way to go directly from the artist to the audience and bypass the station system, which didn't pay us. And we could get direct support and we could, we could teach people how to do this, have these little businesses of their own. And to me, to me, Radiotopia was my punk rock label. You know, that, that's what I always wanted to do. Like I always wanted to run a label. <laughs> like, yeah. A lot of people want to be musicians, but for some reason I wanted to run a label. And well, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. <laughs> and so, and so, um, so we, we, so that's what that was. And like, and then the part of me that was, that, that tied it into being a collective was um, being inspired by Doomtree in uh, Minneapolis, the hip hop collective there. And then, um, and discord and those ethics made me not want to, I didn't want to own these shows. Like I probably could have in the beginning created a company that was like, you know, like invested in and got investment and owned them, but I didn't want to be anyone's boss. I wanted to just have shared resources and a shared mission and us all go together. And I thought that we could all do everything. So like you could be the business owner, you could hustle for some advertisement, you could you know, you could, um, produce the thing, you could report the thing, all that sort of stuff. Like I was looking for those types of people that were the same type of DIY punks that I always admired, um, you know, as the music I listened to. And so, um, so to me that, that spirit, the DIY punk spirit is infused in everything I do, every decision I make, like I can't help myself. Um, (laughs) but what's, but, but I think it's, a funny thing that that I think a lot of people have to admit who always take different paths is that um, I don't know if we rolled the dice and people opened the door for me if I would not have walked through <laughs> you know like if things were made easy um, would I have just you know like taken a job that paid for everything or whatever all I know is that no one was offering me those things and so I had to do it myself and then and then the end I found that extremely rewarding Oh, I imagine it's been incredibly rewarding. Like, as someone who's put like a lot of effort into something and just felt the entire way feeling like, is anyone actually going to pay attention to this? Mm-hmm. Is anyone going to listen to this? Like, or is this just going to be a pet project? <laughs> when you see those things pay off, it's so rewarding. Um, yeah. What do you think is like one of the big key lessons you've learned like along the way in creating and, and working with Radiotopia and the shows? Well, I think the key it's, the key to it is, um, I mean, the key lesson I learned, which is a hard one um, and not exactly a happy, shiny one, <laughs> is um, you're never, you never solve the problem. Like you can't create a condition in which people are happy all the time. You have to constantly work um, to keep people, you know, um, happy and make sure they have the resources they need. And uh, um, and and if you don't, then uh, you know, like, not everyone comes into this with the same in the same spirit, and so you can't expect them to necessarily because there's something about ownership 
you know, like even the ownership of an idea, if it's not even the ownership of a company, um, that uh, gives you pride and like you're, you're driven forward by it. But you have to constantly, basically I have to, you know, we have to constantly keep making Radiotopia worth it to all, every individual involved and every individual has differing needs. And so, um, so it's like, you, I guess the, the funny thing about Radiotopia was it was always kind of meant to be a joke, you know, like it was like the radio, it was the radio utopia, you know? And, <laughs> and the thing is, is like, is like, um, and that name we got from, from Julie Shapiro, who's the executive producer now, but you mm-hmm. know, like I used to work with her at WBC in Chicago. And, and so, you know, so, and just like every utopia, like they, you know, like utopia means a place that doesn't exist. I mean, like it's really, really hard to keep it in existence because trying to serve all of these people. And when you take, when service is a part of, it's like a part of my core is, is service. Um, you, you just fail at it so often that it's, um, it's hard, you know, and when your metric is service and community, you just realize how much your shortcomings in that way are. And so that, that's kind of the, the weird, that's the dark part of that, you know, like it just, it's, but it's also, it's like the only thing I know how to do, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it differently. And so, um, so yeah, it's like, it's a, it's weird. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, there, there's always this, there's this, there was this thing like, so when Radiotopia first formed, it needed to exist because I thought some of the most talented people in public radio who were making stories weren't getting paid or allowed to make the stories they wanted to make. And then we, you know, we changed the, the, the field of that enough and, 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 you know, like things became popular and then all these good paying jobs existed um, that were different, that didn't require, didn't have ownership, that you sold yourself, your sold your idea to other people. And they could still make good stories. And it's not like those people are sellouts and they're horrible. They made great art, you know, in, inside those confines. And for a while I didn't know, because the first mission was just getting people jobs and stability. And we were just, the mission was survival in the beginning. When survival was met by so many other people, I kind of didn't know why we needed to exist. And then, you know, there's this phase of consolidation and people have to do things they don't want to do because the VC money they got at some point, you know, eventually that comes due, you know, and then, and then you see like, okay, well now there's a reason for us to exist again, you know? And and so what is, what is interesting about a long-term project like this is watching your mission sort of change and reflect the needs of the people you're trying to serve and trying to be on top of that and um, and realizing that the first mission doesn't serve everyone anymore. And so you have to keep evolving. And it's just, you know, like it can be exhilarating, but it can also be just exhausting, you know. Oh, I imagine. I, uh, <laughs> in just doing this podcast, and my partner and I run a nonprofit for like trauma survivors. Yeah. So like doing any of that work for any amount of time can be exhausting because you again it comes down to the mission and the effort that you're able that you're able and physically like physically able and emotionally able to put into the work that you're trying to create because at the end of the day the the people you reach the people you connect with the folks that actually like come across your product or your um, organization they're they're they set up an expectation 
and your job is to meet those ever-evolving expectations right. and so that means you have to sometimes change your approach and like that's how like when we started our nonprofit, it was specifically to support um, trauma survivors we would tell their stories and whatnot and then we saw that there was an opening in the the concert scene mm -hmm. uh, because sexual assault is a huge problem in the concert scene as i'm sure you're aware <laughs> to some degree um, and so we started sponsoring bands and sending them out with materials and zines and little leaflets and stuff like that and like that became that was not something we thought was <laughs> going to be part of our work when we started it three years ago and now it's actually the staple of what we do yeah. and so you kind of have to constantly be uh, aware of like how your audience is going to expect something new from you it's yeah a whole other level of exhausting <laughs> it really is and it just sort of every once in a while i just had one of the you're talking to me on one of these weeks where it's just like where the you know like where the 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 volume of complaint about my failure is like a little bit louder than you know than you know the my own sort of satisfaction in the things that i get to do and make and so it's like and and if the stakes are so high, like the work you do, the stakes are so high. Um, mm -hmm. The the failure just, you know, like is so much more painful. You know, it's like, like I'm not saying that you ever failed. I don't even know, what, you know, exactly. But it, but it's like, it, it's like you you're just aware of like, oh, if I did that a little bit differently or listened a little to this thing, maybe I could have not offended that person or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know. And um, yeah, I just I just been through been sort of thinking through a lot of this this week and and uh i totally that i mean that's your work sounds um much more important than mine <laughs> oh i wouldn't say that at all <laughs> it's i think it's just two there are two different spaces <laughs> um but one of the things that uh kind of came to mind when you were when you were talking a little bit er earlier about like the creation of Radiotopia how it started as a joke I think well it did start as a joke the, 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 the name is just the name is a joke the thing was okay. painfully seriously to me it just was really painfully earnest and serious to me it's just that yeah. the, the idea that we're going to take a, make a radio utopia is both extremely sincere and the folly is built into the name you know and so mm -hmm. that's that's what I mean by it being a, a joke yeah, yeah. So another thing you take very seriously, as I'm aware, is design. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I want to reference my favorite episode of 99PI, and that is the basketball uni uh, uniform episode. Okay. Uh, the Barney. Yeah. I'm just a huge NBA fan. Okay. And that episode like kind of opened my eyes because that's when I was first exposed to the NBA. Mm -hmm. And the point that's hammered home in that episode is that it was made to market to children essentially right. like the youths and it totally worked <laughs> roman right. <laughs> it right. totally worked i just wish the portland trailblazers had a better jersey around that time because <laughs> i would have one right now yeah but i don't <laughs> <laughs> so why do you find it so important to educate folks on like minuscule design aspects like sometimes very minuscule design aspects why do you find that so important to like devote so much of your time and effort to it i mean i guess primarily it's just kind of fun to tell those stories i think that's the first and foremost is like when you begin to recognize that everything around you represented a decision 
and then each of those decisions represents a story, then the world kind of comes alive in this really intriguing way to me. And so I just like, that's the world I like to live in, is in a a world full of stories. And my mind works that way a lot of the time. Sometimes it doesn't. I can walk through the world pretty oblivious sometimes too. But when I'm turned on and, and keyed into things, I just have a better time. And, and one of the things that like, as, as someone who was sort of felt a lot of like the pain of the world and how I didn't fit into it, um, I take a lot of comfort in the idea that somebody put thought into the world to make it better for me without me noticing it. And mm. I actually kind of, I, I've become a more optimistic person over the course of this show in ways that are not, you know, not that that are just kind of these subtle ways where, when you when you realize how a, a latch works particularly well, or um, you know, or 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 whatever, you know, like a, a really good gadget or whatever it is, and you're just like, wow, like somebody really, they spent hours to make sure I never noticed this thing, <laughs> because you don't <laughs> tend to notice good design; you only notice failure, you only notice bad design, and so I just when that was sort of when I got turned on to that idea to all this creative thought that went into things that I just to me you know objects were pretty soulless you know like it was like art and music that was things that you know got me going and then I saw all the art and thought in these everyday things um there was something about that that just excited me and it still excites me to this day I mean that's the reason why the show exists is that I take real joy and pleasure in uncovering those things and then sharing them with an audience. That's just, uh, that's just, it's it's like a, that's a distinct pleasure of mine. Like I, we have a few of these episodes that are reported, you know, that are very scripted and they take a lot of, um, a lot of time. And we have a few episodes where, you know, like a, uh, one of my reporters will come in and just tell me a story, you know, and, uh, and people comment on those a lot because, you know, like, most of the audience, the audio is just me uh, giggling <laughs> because I'm just so yeah. delighted <laughs> by the things they tell me. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and, and it's just genuine. Like, that's just the way I feel, you know, when somebody, you know, f- finds something cool about a basketball jersey or something like that that I've never thought of before. I just, that's the type of thing that just delights me. I I love that through all the years that I've listened to the podcast that that still rings true like it still it comes through that way like we I can tell how much you enjoy doing this and I think that we so my partner and I were driving yesterday and we were listening to the who let the dogs out episode (laughs) and you getting your mind blown over and over again while we were as well was just a lot yeah it's really it's so, <laughs> so funny it's like that's one of those weird balances where you will like for the most part i need to know what's going to happen so i can produce the thing well you know what i mean but then for that one it was kind of i started to watch the beginning of the documentary and then i like turned it off and i was like guys just give me a guidepost like they were in the room like two producers were listening so i would know the things i had to hit essentially like the cues i had to bring a uh, ben to but I didn't want to hear the music because I really mm-hmm. wanted to be surprised by it. And when the last one comes on and the marching band from the freaking 80s sounds exactly yep. like the Baja men, 
it blew my mind. Like I was right? just like, like it was so it's so much fun to have discovery on the microphone. Um, so yeah, I, I I try to I sort of cherish those moments. They can't all they can't often happen because I'm the executive producer. Like I have to kind of know that a story is going to be mm-hmm. good, you know. But but sometimes I get to let go and just experience it the way everyone else does. That's great. I love it. It's almost like it, it keeps you young, right? <laughs> it does, yeah. Keeps you young. <laughs> it does. Um, another, so one of the things that has helped me like discover a lot of new education, uh, just transitioning a little bit, is Trump Con Law. Mm-hmm. And it's become like one of my favorite like, uh, like educational podcasts. Because oh, like, I understand, I understand the current political moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Many of us do, and I don't really claim to know shit about the Constitution, okay. but this has really taught me a lot. Yeah. What made you want to branch into working on this project? I mean, it was, you know, you know, so Trump got elected, and, like, I remember, like, the staff, I was at home, but the staff watched the election returns in the office, like, on the projector, and I had to basically come into work and pick them up the fucking floor, you know, like to try to like let them know like what we did was still relevant. I mean, they just basically wanted to form like an opposition like like mm-hmm. group, you know, to and uh, I was like, what we do is still important to people. It still matters, even if it doesn't speak directly to um, this situation. And um, and I still believe that I still think that's uh, valuable. Um, but part of my mind was I was just constantly like because Trump's pushing on norms and violating these rules that were so sort of sacred to us they were so sacred that no one spoke of them like emoluments and bribery and obstruction that um, and I could feel like it was just a disturbance in the force like I knew something was wrong but I kind of didn't know what it was that was wrong and so I, uh, so a fellow, like a, a my, our kids went to school together. So a fellow parent at the school, Elizabeth Joe, she was my neighbor and I knew she taught, um, law at UC Davis and she was just so clever on Twitter. Like I kind of knew her from Twitter more than I knew her as a person. And mm. I was, I just met with her and I just said, I think we could do a show where we, uh, take the Trump tweets or the Trump news and you could teach me something about, you know, constitutional law. And it, it, it really came from her idea. She, she said something like on Twitter, she said, you know, being a, a con law teacher in, you know, in 2017 means checking Twitter five minutes before class to see, you know, what Trump said that violated the mm-hmm. constitution. And I was like, let's, let's do that. Let's do that as a show. And we could take a Trump tweet or something going on and you could give me uh, very quickly, like I didn't want it to be about Trump because I found that too depressing, but I really wanted mm-hmm. it to, to quickly jump to some historical precedent that could teach us something about the Constitution. And so as the Constitution was being tested, you know, we got to explore the formula that made it. And, and this is something that's sort of inherent like to my education. Like I, I studied population genetics and the way you test genetics is you break things And you see what happens when you break it. You know, that's what modeling is. And so uh, this is a model. You know, I don't want this real world scenario working, you know, like out in the world at all. (laughs) Like I would really rather it not exist. But I, but I wanted to take this opportunity to try to, to learn something. And, and because 
you know, like to, I can't just have Elizabeth come over to my house and t- teach me things. Like I have to record it and do, do something with it or she would stop, she would stop coming, you know? And so, <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so we, you know, we, uh, so that's how that started. And it really was originally like, she just would come over to my house and then, um, and now she comes over to the office, you know, but, but it was like, you know, it was just, that was, that was it. it I was just trying to, I wanted to be like, I call myself, like, I'm your fellow student and host, you know, yeah. on Mars. I mean, like, I'm really the student. I don't know anything as we go into that. I mean, rhythmically, there's some production in there where I interject with, okay, so let's do this now, and now I'll, like, sum up something. But I, I only do it audio-wise, like, just to, because, like, your ear gets bored listening to one one thing for a long time, and so it's good to have, that's why Q&As are so good, you know, like, people going back and forth. And so, mm-hmm. um, so it's a rhythmically a reason for me to be in the show, but there's no like intellectual reason for me to be in the show because I don't know anything, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, um, so uh, and then I just ask questions. I think like what's what's been kind of amazing is over the past you know three and a half years, I think my questions have gotten better. Like I understand more about what's going on. Like I can I can bring more to that conversation. Um, but that's really all Elizabeth. Like she's just uh, she's uh, she's very she she makes that show. And, uh, she's brilliant. And one of the things I love about about her is she has a very um, she's so calm. I mean, like I'm pretty calm, and she's like really calm. And uh, and uh, she the way she reads Trump tweets just like is like the funniest thing to me. Like it's so like charming and good, you know. And it's the only way I can tolerate you know anything that comes out of his brain, you know. And so um, so I that's one of my that's the, one of the secrets of the show. I think. It's her Trump. Is her reading Trump tweets? It's really wonderful, like uh, knowing that you're like you know willing to be a student of the world essentially because like with design and with the con law, like you're kind of like constantly learning, and I feel like that's like the 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 balance I want to strike in life as well. So I feel like if you're not learning, you're kind of like might sound mean like wasting time like i feel like there's so much to learn and that i've i and i think this is where my relationship with music has kind of like faded away a little bit Mm -hmm. as i've gotten a little bit older because like i switched to listening to a lot of podcasts just because like i want to fill my head with information (laughs) same i'm the same i listen to way less music because of but i have headphones in all the time I, I just yeah. I'm constantly trying to suck up information. It's also like I think that there's a n- negative aspect is like s- some of it's music because I I do miss having as much music in my life. But the other thing is um, I don't consume a lot of fiction, and because I'm constantly mm. like I'm kind of addicted to facts, and and so I also don't consume a lot of you know fiction or b- in terms of reading or listening. Like listening has taken over reading as well like listening to podcasts so um i don't know if that's good i I just know that that's what's (laughs) happening (laughs) oh yeah i totally get that one of the podcasts that i've uh become a big fan of is decoder ring Uh yeah sure yeah yeah we featured one of their episodes a long time ago like maybe about a year and year two two years ago something like that wasn't it was it the laugh track one it was like the very first episode yeah. yeah yeah um i find that that podcast fascinating because like it'll keep me interested in Judy Garland for 30 minutes and I never thought I'd be interested in Judy Garland for 30 minutes but now I know I have that knowledge in my head and like thing like uh, a podcast like that it only comes out once a month so like when it pops up in my feeds like all right I'm gonna listen to it immediately (laughs) good so um in in like anytime 
um, a new illusionist pops up. I'm like ready because oh, yeah. <laughs> I was an English major. I'm ready to learn. T- tell me more about words. Yeah. So uh, being conscious of your time, um, one little final question and then kind of jumping into a quick lightning round, okay. if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, so what does the future look like for you? Like I might have read that there might be a book in the works. Yeah. So Maybe. a book was just finished. So Kurt Colstead and I put together a book and it's, um, and some of it comes from the show, but a lot of it doesn't. And it's called The 99% Invisible City. And it's sort of a... It sort of has the sort of some of the semiotics and sort of look and feel of a field guide. It's like a field guide to all the boring stuff in a city, the interesting stories behind boring things. And so um, that comes out uh, in October in the U.S. and U.K. and simplified Chinese. <laughs> and um, uh, so that's that's a big thing that that spent. Excuse me, we spent. Well, I mean, Kurt in particular spent like he just it nearly killed him. I was working on the show, you know, and doing it simultaneously. So I was like, I had a little bit more respite in between or like I could just switch back and forth in between. So, um, so yeah, that's a, that's a big thing for this year for sure. And I'll do a book tour with that in October. So I'll do 10 cities in October. I just sort of work out that, that deal. Cool. Hopefully you come through Boston. We will definitely go to Boston. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll get you coffee or something. That'd be great. (laughs) All right, now it's time for the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you a full song from the new Old Soul album, You Were Overwhelmed. This is the lead single from the album. It is called Like No Surprise. Uh, It is a fantastic song. The entire album is incredible. Jess Hall's voice is one of my favorite voices in music today. And I mean that wholeheartedly, especially if you get to see the band live. She puts everything out there. She's one of my favorite front front persons in general uh, that fronts a band. I think she's an incredible human being and everyone else in the band uh, to Tom, to Chris, to Chance everyone is incredible and I hope that you enjoy these tunes as much as I do and as much as I love sharing them with you please give them your support go to Counterintuitive Records, get yourself a copy of the vinyl, go to Chatterbot Records, get yourself a copy of the vinyl get yourself uh, a CD get digital, stream it, It's it's everywhere you can download it for free at Counter intuitives band camp you can pay them some money to do it as well but if you don't have the money you can get it for free or you can stream it on any service really just make sure you're supporting the band and get to the gig they're doing a whole u.s tour right now so they're going through the country and they're playing their tunes everywhere so check them out on instagram i think it's just old soul ma uh go to uh their facebook account they'll have all of their dates there for you uh to see and for you to get out and get to the gig for now let's get to this song like no surprise off the new old soul album here we go
That was Like No Surprise by Old Soul. If you liked what you hear, go to Counterintuitive Records, go to Chatterbot Records, or stream it anywhere and everywhere. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Roman Mars. Um, Cool. So just a quick lightning round. I like to just get random little tidbits from people at the end um, because this is another place for me to learn a little bit more about you. Um, Also, thank you so much for your time. This has been like a really cool, it was like a pie in the sky kind of thing where one day I would turn to my partner. I'm like, I'd like to talk to Roman Mars one day. (laughs) And they were like, you should reach out. And I said, all right. (laughs) I mean, it's funny because like, it's funny because it's, it's, uh, yeah, I liked the, the point of view in which you were operating and your show operates was what drew me to it. So I was like, I like, I like education and I like punk. So here we go. <laughs> so, but also yeah. it's like, if you catch me on a weird moment where I know I have a time, like I don't have a lot of time. And so like, it's, mm-hmm. so, so you just, you just like all the stars line. So I'm very, very happy to make this happen. Oh, thank you so much. That's why I was like, well, I think Irene was setting it up with me. I was like, I do not have a timeline. Just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even getting a response is sick. That's, that's nice. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, I would say blue. I, so this is really hard because. Yep. <laughs> but not. But I'll tell you the reason why. Um, I have these. Okay. I have twin boys, Maslow and Carver, and one of them, uh, his favorite color is red, and one of them his favorite color is blue, and they have self-selected and dress only in these colors these are not things that i have imposed on them at all um (laughs) and so truthfully the red and blue like the the combination of them and the combination of them like in my life is my favorite thing and so it's hard for me to say but i I wear more blue like i'm more of a Mm. blue wearing person but i i love red and blue in particular because of them Back in the day when you were buying uh, punk shirts uh, at the gig or oh, in the store, did, were you black? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say black or white. All right. It was black for sure. Yeah, I never wore white shirts all that much. I got into a big white phase, and then I realized that they get gross. <laughs> so oh, I <laughs> if you, like, I have a Husker Du shirt from Warehouse, the Warehouse tour. So, which was, I didn't make, my sister went to it, and so that was 87. Mm-hmm. And I wore it. If you saw me from the ages of 14 to 18, I was probably wearing that shirt. And by the time it fell off my body, it was basically clear. Like it was not even white (sighs) anymore. It was just, it was held together by safety pins. It was like translucent. Uh, It was, uh, it was so gross. (laughs) It was a lived in shirt. Very, very lived in. (laughs) (laughs) What's your like favorite type of food? Pizza. Even specific. Pizza? What kind of pizza? New York style pizza. Pepperoni pizza. I like that's why I just, I love it. I wish, I I mean, I also love, you know, like, I love pho. I love, um, Mm. you know, I love tacos. I love, I'm kind of like a a junk food kid because I, you know, I kind of grew up a little bit on my own so I had to get my own food and so I made Mm. poor choices and those poor choices imprinted on me forever. (laughs) So... (laughs) So do you have a sweet tooth then? Not especially, no. Although okay. I like soda. Like I I, I, mm. I I mainly drink diet soda, but like if I'm mm. splurging, what I want is a is a sugar soda. Um, I do a little bit of sweets, but like that's not, if, if you said to me, it would be much harder for me to give up something like pizza or bread than it would be for me to give up uh, desserts. Like I, I could totally give mm. up desserts. Des- they don't mean a lot to me. 
Yeah, I'm a big soda. Like Diet Dr. Pepper, I always joke is my brand. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. yeah you and John Green, he loves that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually got a big gulp tattoo uh, last year. So <laughs> I am a mess of a person. <laughs> my, mine's, yeah, Coke Zero. Me and um, PJ Vote from Reply All, that podcast, you know that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he can he can pound cans of uh, of Coke Zero, and so, so can I. Like if I'm at this, I have a basically a fridge devoted to Coke Zero in the office. Mm. So. We got a Costco membership. It's mostly to get Coke Zero. So, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, what's your favorite travel spot you've ever been to, Every, or that you like returning to? I loved Scotland more than anything. Mm. I think a lot of places, but I find a lot of joy in a lot of places, as you can probably get guess from the show. But like, mm. Scotland was the most at home I felt in a foreign land which is not, you know, not always what you strive for. Like sometimes you want to be, you know, like foreign or foreign land, but there was something about the character of the Scottish people, which they were like really kind, um, a little bit angry all the time, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and there was just something about the, their com- that I just felt like, oh yeah, I like this place. This is like, I could, you know, I could live here type of thing. So, hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you're not a big fiction person, but, uh, how much TV do you consume? Um, and what are you watching? If anything right now, uh, the two things I'm watching right now are the, the two HBO shows. So the outsider, Mm -hmm. which is like a Stephen King adaptation, which is really moody and, and kind of great. And, uh, and then this documentary called McMillions, which is about, (gasps) yeah, it's scam. (laughs) I want to start it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. So those are the two I've been watching right now. I usually have like one, you know, kind of one thing a month that I kind of check out. I don't watch a lot of TV. You know, I, I watch some movies with my boys, you know, um, like showing them movies that I that I like, but, um, or that, you know, they'll like and we just watch together. Um, but you know, it's like I watched, you know, watched the cheer series on Netflix. That was super addictive. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I kind of, I, I don't, um, it's not like TV is not a huge part of my life, but there's probably like, you know, every month there's like one show that I kind of keep up with and that's, that's about it. Probably a couple hours a week type of thing. Yeah. My partner started both the outsider and cheer because they used to be a cheerleader. <laughs> so both of those have, uh, come up in our household yeah. as well. Oh, cheer is super um, addictive. It's good. It's wild. Yeah to like see what they put their bodies through oh no it's like it's a it's a criminal enterprise as far as i'm concerned it's like it's <laughs> negligent beyond yeah it's really bad but you know but the, well, didn't, you know but the kids are good to watch so didn't the same people make um last, last chance, chance you. you i saw a couple yeah. of those seasons and th- that was also a really really well-made show i like i like yeah. that i i tend to like documentaries i mean i tend to i'm kind of a distracted watcher of things and so mm-hmm. um documentaries are a little more verbal than visual often. And so I can consume them while, you know, like looking at my email or do other stuff, which is, I know, not like very respectful to the art, but that's just how I sort of live. So that's just, you know, that's kind of part of it. I completely relate to that though. It's kind of like what we've become conditioned to. What are some podcasts, a couple podcasts off the top of the head that you think people should be listening to right now? Um, Should I do the... I'll, I'll let me do the disclaimer that they should listen to all the Radiotopia shows. 
100 <laughs> i'll list them all <laughs> yeah so do do that one um because i love i love I love them the most. I mean, the reason why I'm surrounded by these people is because I really think that they're the most talented. Um, I've been, I mean, I like I'm a big consumer of podcasts. So, um, so I think the Anthropocene Reviewed, which is John Green's podcast, is really beautiful. We featured on the show. I'm really into this show called Blank Check with Griffin and David, which is uh, really a chat show, like a pretty, you know, like loose uh, chat show of just two really well two and actually three really charming people talking about movies in a way that i like um i'm trying to think of something like uh i listen to the 538 politics podcast i listen mm-hmm. to slate political gab vest um i'm trying to guess so if there's anything else that like the observatory with um uh Jessica and Michael like they're it's just like they're kind of friends of mine and so like I just like hearing their voices pop culture happy hour I like the rewatchables I love reply all like I, I just um, I just uh, th- there's a there's a bajillion of them <laughs> that I that I really really enjoy and then I dip in and out of different like interview shows like WTF and stuff like that if I'm particularly yeah. interested in the person um, and fresh air I listen to a lot of fresh air still um yeah, I could. I mean, the yeah. ologies. The whole podcast would just be listing podcasts. <laughs> I, I really could. I really could. Like, I, I, there's uh, my brother, my brother and me. I love that show. It makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark Kermode, Simon Mayo's film review on BBC Five Live. I mean, it's just like, I, uh, I, 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 there's like, that's probably the thing of which I'm the most sort of a, an aficionado these days. Hmm. That's great. Um, I love how much you dedicate to it. It's incredible. I don't know how you have the time. <laughs> well, I just fit it in. I mean, like the, the thing is, is with while it, you're doing it, stuff, it, it's like I have headphones in all the time, and every time in between something mm-hmm. where I'm not talking or recording or whatever, I put something on. And so, you mm-hmm. there's a lot of little time like that during the daytime. Like you can get through three or four episodes of almost anything, you know, over the course of a day. Um, when I gotta have full transparency, I normally listen to you at one point five. So. <laughs> So I sound slow and drunk right now. <laughs> it's always really funny when like we get in the car and it's still on 1.5. My partner's like, what is happening? Yeah. S- stop. Yeah. <laughs> My best friend, uh, Max, he, he, he says when he talks to me now, cause he, he's a fast listener too. He talks to me after listening to my show so much. He's like, he's like, you sound drunk. He's like, you gotta hit your head. <laughs> so I listen to fast too. Like I, I'm not, I don't find okay. that to be a problem. So you, you, you don't, um, only shows that sort of have music and sound effects is like a huge part of what they are. Like I can't listen to Song mm-hmm. Exploder fast because oh, it, was, no, it would ruin no, no, it. No. Um, but like anything that's mainly chatty, like uh, I listen to a little bit fast for sure. One last question. Sure. You got a one or two punk albums that you think are essential to just your growth, you as a person what should people check out oh. that uh, influenced you? Oh my God. Okay. This is going to be tough. <laughs> I mean, they're so, oh God. They, this is like, this is like, this could take me a whole hour. Like this could be me, the caveats and choices right now could like tell you so much. So like, and there's so many things that are like correctives to other things, you know? So if I tell you, you know, like, minor threat you know discography that came out on all one cd you know like mm-hmm. it's like yes but you know i recognize that this is the music 
of a 13 year old you know what I mean like so like it's it's sophistication is like it's important and it it's relevant in its own space but it's not like you shouldn't read that into the 45 year old man you see today you know sort of thing so yeah. so I would say the things that formed me is like I would I would have to go back to something early discord like like minor threat and then and then I would say the things that challenged me were were like were f- so so minor threat I'm just going to say discography because I'm allowed to I'll just say the whole yeah. thing um, because it was it was more consumed as a big CD than it was as the you know the two shorter albums and and, and seven mm-hmm. inch so I'll do that one and then um, the let's see oh my god I would say the Pixies Surfer Rosa not a not a mm. punk thing but you know kind of like that I would say I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to list a bunch of these too because it's just not it's not fair uh, that's totally fine the, <laughs> okay so crass feeding of the 5000 uh, the the first clash record uh, and then let's see oh my god uh, and then I would say Jawbox's novelty and uh, for your own special sweetheart and mainly because for your own special sweetheart was this they they were the first Discord band to go on a major label, which was a big scandal at the time because it's just because we were dumb. Um, mm-hmm. But like, but it is artistically such a leap forward and so fantastic that it broke my, uh, you know, association with like what like mass appeal or you know what corporate versus indie and all that sort of stuff. Like it sort of blew that apart in a meaningful way for me because I recognized that they made the best art when they were, you know, at a subsidiary of Atlantic Records. And so this, all this stuff is kind of meaningless. It's who you are in the, you know, like when you make things that are so important. Um, ugh, I got, I, 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 could, I could just go on forever, but those are kind of my, my major ones. I'm going to kick myself about something if I, you know, well, after this is done. <laughs> but yeah, if you get all those, like you'll get um, pretty, pretty a far good, with me. A good taste of what's going on in your brain. <laughs> for sure, or, for sure. Yeah years ago um well thank you so much again roman i really appreciate this This has uh been kind of a a big old treat for me oh my uh, pleasure i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it hell yeah um one last thing uh this is just a little thing you love flags i know that (laughs) yeah um or at least they intrigue you yeah um go look at the corvallis oregon flag if you never have before okay it is and violates all of the rules <laughs> that <laughs> most, you just do. hate. Oh shit! Hit my thing. Sorry about that. If that was loud in your ears. Um, oh, but it is. I bad. see it. Oh, I see it. Is the one that says Corvallis on the sign? Yep. Wow, that is. Isn't a, that gross? That is pretty bad. <laughs> wow. That's where I went to college. <laughs> wow. Oh, I, I, yep. you know, I. The funny thing is, since the Corvallis flag, like, since the flag stuff, like, happened, so I did th- this TED Talk on flags, of course, mm-hmm. you know, is that my, you know, I kind of love the horrible disasters sometimes, like, in a certain way, and this is definitely a disaster. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> and there there have been many petitions to change it, and no one's followed through. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. It's, so. it's great. Don't <laughs> worry. It's fine. <laughs> All right, Roman, thank you again. Hopefully I'll see you when you come through Boston sometime. That would be great. 
We did it. Another episode done. Very thankful for Roman Mars taking some time to chat with me on this little here podcast, this little DIY podcast. Really glad that he uh, wanted to be involved and and support the work that I do here. Um, Very thankful for his team making it happen and working with me behind the scenes to make this happen. So thanks, Irene, over at Radiotopia and 99PI. Very stoked for her support. And also, you know, go buy the new old soul record go stream it go uh support the band they're friends of mine and i really hope that you enjoyed their tunes throughout the episode also connect edu network go to connect edu network go to connect edu.network there's a dot in there connect edu.network to get yourself some cool educational opportunities and content from myself and a whole bunch of other folks that put in effort to make sure that you are educated uh, in in your uh, offices in your car on your runs whatever you do however you listen to podcasts um, I think I'm done dilly dallying now. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another new episode. Uh, And yeah, that's all I got. School year is going really well. Katie works at UMass Boston now. Maybe we'll get Katie back on the podcast. And um, we're doing a lot of cool work behind the scenes, uh, trying to bring cool content and trying to rev up the art of survival again. And yeah, that's all I got. Hope you're having a good day or night, or whenever you're listening to this. Until next time, let's get to work.